Welcome to the KPMG Tax Now podcast. In this podcast, we explore some of the more complex matters across tax, economics, regulation, and compliance. Each month, we meet with KPMG's foremost experts and other special guests to unpack key issues faced by taxpayers around the globe. Hello, my name's Andy Hutt. Welcome to the TaxNow podcast. Today we'll be exploring the OECD and G20's uh, initiative on taxation and the digitalisation of the economy and the latest announcements that have occurred over the last four weeks. With me today to discuss uh, these announcements and what it's going to mean for uh, the global tax system and Australia is Grant Wardle-Johnson, the uh, partner in charge of the Economics and Tax Centre at KPMG in Australia. On the 31st of January, the OECD uh, announced the um, latest status of its uh, deliberations in terms of the two-pillar approach uh, to addressing the tax challenges of digitalisation of the economy. Pillar one uh, is about the reallocation of taxing rights uh, between countries in relation to organisations that have uh, significant sales in a particular jurisdiction without having significant physical presence there. Uh, And so what the objective of those rules is, is to shift taxation rights uh, towards what you might call market countries uh, and away from headquarters countries or interposed uh, countries uh, in terms of their business structure. Pillar two is about uh, introducing a global minimum tax regime for multinationals and the OECD is uh, talking about its further progress down the road towards achieving uh, consensus in terms of both the the minimum rate uh, and how that's to be achieved. The more substantive announcements, however, were on were on Pillar 1. And the focus uh, on the 31st of January announcement was really around the, the scope of Pillar 1 in terms of the kind of businesses that will be caught. The observations from the OECD were that uh, there was a group of um, highly digitalised businesses that are very clearly in scope in terms of search engines, and consumer uh, interactive databases uh, and and tools, uh, and that there would be other businesses that whilst they weren't necessarily uh, highly digitalized would also be in scope uh, in terms of those uh, consumer-facing organizations that have uh, a significant marketing presence in a particular jurisdiction without necessarily uh, significant physical presence. There was also uh, a lot of comment about particular carve-outs in terms of financial services, extractive industries, and the uh, international airline industry, and also comment on how the um, particular uh, amounts of a multinational enterprise's profits uh, would be divided up uh, for allocation between countries. Amount A has been discussed a lot, which is the uh, the amount that would be available uh, out of a company's residual profits uh, to be reallocated between markets, and also amount B, uh, which is uh, the amount that a particular country would um, 
deem for baseline marketing um, and support activities. Uh, and there was a view there that that would align pretty closely with what um, countries are already assessing uh, in terms of the profitability uh, of those kinds of entity on an arm's length basis. Grant, what's your views on the on the background uh, in terms of how we got to the uh, the 31 January announcements? Thanks very much, Andy. So there was consultation in relation to Pillar 1 in late November and in Pillar 2 on the 9th of December. And between those two dates, US Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin sent a letter um, to the OECD. And in that letter, he raised serious concerns about departures from the arm's length principle and breaking the established nexus rules that exist in current treaties. He said that Pillar 1 should be a safe harbour. In Pillar 2, he supported a guilty type of arrangement, which is basically the US um, minimum tax regime. On the 4th of December, the OECD Secretary-General, Jose Angel uh, Guerra, he thanked him for the US support over the last two years. He said that making Pillar 1 a safe harbour had not been raised at all in that period, uh, and that this may subvert the whole process that had been discussed to date uh, and was being considered by 135 countries. He invited uh, Mr Mnuchin over to Paris to meet with what he termed Bruno, who's Bruno Le Maire, from the, uh, who's French foreign minister, um, ideally before Christmas, to deal with it. That led to um, a reasonable amount of discussion over January as to where this was going. And um, in the tax community, there's been debate as to what's a safe harbour is it an election, and does it give rise to optionality which might actually undermine this whole process? I think the final outcome of this, reflected in the document that you just men mentioned that was released on the 31st of, uh, of January, is the issue about the safe harbours being kicked down the road. So it exists in that um, 31st January document, and the prima facie issues that it raises are there, but that's going to be an issue that's going to be considered in depth after they've considered the other issues. And they intend to consider the other issues in relation to Pillar 1 by the 30th of June or mid, mid, mid this year um, to try and get up um, a sort of a level of agreement that would be finalised later this year. So that's broadly it. And yes, OK, we've got in relation to Amount A, we've got automated digital businesses and consumer-facing businesses to consider, and the lines in or the delineations in relation to those two categories are going to be very important and part of the, the discussions, as is the scope of the exceptions and what's the limit of an extractive industries exception. Um, does it go to, through to the final product? Um, there's an argument there that, um, well, there's also commodities that coffee beans that are green um, would fall within that exception, but processed coffee um, wouldn't. So there's going to be lots of discussion in relation to the scope of the exclusions. There is a potential for this to backslide. So if those listeners think, OK, well, I'm in an exclusion now, therefore I'm OK, um, very possibly uh, the way in which the US views this debate, they might say later down the track, hey, look, we think this should be expanded rather than um, kept at the level that it is now in terms of scope. So um, I think people need to, to watch out for that possibility. Tax certainty is a big issue in relation to this. And in terms of amount A, um, 
if there's going to be a reasonable allocation, you have to have countries in the fold that are not treaty countries and how that works and what kind of um, arbitration you put over that um, is going to be important. There's discussions about panel arbitration in relation to the issues um, that arise in respect of that. And in terms of Pillar 2, the big issue there is blending and do you adopt a guilty type blending, which is a global type blending, or do you adopt a jurisdiction um, by jurisdiction um, approach? Um, Andy, on the 13th of February, we had a webcast from the OECD. Broadly, what did, what did that outline? Yeah, the, uh, the 13th of February webcast was interesting in that um, despite all the uncertainty uh, that we've described about where these proposals for Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 are going to land, the uh, OECD was bold enough to put out some financial projections in terms of the additional revenue uh, that would be raised by a certain assumption as to how Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 would operate and also about how revenues would be reallocated between countries under Pillar 1. So it was interesting, the OECD was saying, well, when we decided you know, when we decided we were going to publish the, the figures, we had half the countries saying, what are you doing that for? It's way too early because we haven't agreed stuff. Uh, and the other half of countries saying, well, you should have done this six months ago, and then everyone would have a better idea of where this was heading. So they were kind of between a rock and a hard place in terms of the timing of, uh, of running their numbers. But it, were, it did show some pretty interesting detail in terms of how, how this might play out uh, and, and who the, the winners and, and losers might so, be. So overall, they said there could be a 4% increase in global corporate income tax revenues, which is about $100 billion US annually, and that there could be a movement from investment hubs through to both high, middle and low, or both, or three high, middle and low income countries. Um, that's interesting. The investment hubs, as they defined it, were those with foreign direct investment of more than 150% of GDP, which would include your Luxembourgs, Netherlands, Switzerland's, uh, and probably Singapore's of the, of the world. So that will be interesting. It'll be interesting uh, as this debate evolves as to how granular those discussions will get, and it's very much watched the space. The other thing that happened on the 13th of, of February, and I'm sure it was just coincidental, is US Treasury Secretary Mnuchin spoke to the Senate Finance Committee in support of the multilateral developments and said that this next year will be one where the US will be involved in those discussions. So the tone of that comment, and it wasn't a major one, uh, was quite different from the tone of the 3rd of December um, letter. So that's where we're at at the present time. Watch this space. The next six months will be very, very interesting as to further details on, on um, this area, Pillar 1 and Pillar 2. Thanks very much, Andy. Thanks, Grant, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to another episode of the KPMG Tax Now podcast. If you'd like to ask us a question please send us an email at kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Be sure to subscribe at kpmg.com forward slash au forward slash taxnow or follow our LinkedIn page, KPMG Tax Now Insights, for regular updates. That's all for now. We look forward to sharing more insights with you soon.